Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. My name's Robin Wiebe, and I'm a mom and wife, and my family and I, we've been here almost two years, and we are so grateful um, to be a part of this family and church. The scripture I'm reading is Mark 10, 32 through 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, um, we're looking at this passage from Mark's gospel, which we've been walking through together. And there's this interaction with a wealthy man. And Jesus said how hard it is for somebody with wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, and I, I was remembering a time where I, uh, during that message, where I had 54 cents to my name. And my two goals in life at that point were to make enough money to buy a car so that I could visit uh, my wife, right? Actually, my girlfriend at the time, who was living in Seattle, I was living in California. And the second goal was to make enough money to buy a ring so that I could ask her to be my wife. And uh, I remember uh, I knew nothing about jewelry or diamonds or anything like that. And I, so I went to a, a jewelry store um, where I live, and I said, teach me. Um, t- tell me about, how, you know, what, what's a nice ring? Uh, how much do these things cost? <laughs> uh, what's a nice diamond, and they, they, the guy, the, the representative there was really kind and sat down with me and showed me uh, kind of what makes a good diamond. There's four things, if I remember this, cut, color, clarity, and carrot. Um, and, I, and then they, you know, even educated me on how diamonds are made. Maybe some of you, many of you probably know this, but diamonds are carbon deposits. They start as carbon deposits deep in the earth, often in rocks. And over time, they're subject to, to high temperature and high pressure. And it's these thing, two things together, temperature and pressure, that cause carbon to become a diamond. And, you know, when we think about our lives, our lives encounter similar things. Temperature and pressure, heat and pressure, like things that we walk through that we feel like we can't make it through. I remember when I was younger, it was my parents' divorce. I thought, I can't make it through this. This is, it was the worst thing that I'd ever encountered before. Years later, it was the almost death of my youngest son. Uh, and I thought, how can I make it through this? The last few years, it has felt like one thing after another in our world, from pandemic to political strife to racial strife to wars. And then even in recent news, we see the division in our country. But every challenging season that we walk through shapes us. And as followers of Jesus, we have the guarantee that despite the pressure and the temperature, God is doing something beautiful with us. That in the end, the Bible says, 
all will be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. We're still in process, aren't we? The the Gospels give us uh, this documentary view of Jesus' life, but also of the lives of the very first followers of Jesus. Maybe you've heard the phrase before that the winners write history. It's the idea that the, the stories you get from history are, are crafted and curated by the people that won that particular, that came out on top in that particular moment in history. Well, if that's true, the disciples did a really terrible job in giving themselves a good image. Because as we've been walking through gospel, the Gospel of Mark together, we see their doubt, we see their ignorance, we see the challenges that they go through, and it just doesn't make them look good <laughs> at all. Uh, on the way to Jerusalem, as Robin just read, uh, Jesus is, has been doing ministry now for some time, and uh, it says that Jesus has determined that he's going to go to Jerusalem. And it says the disciples were astonished at this, and many others that were following Jesus were afraid. Why would that be? Well, because at this point in Jesus' ministry, Jerusalem was the last place he should go. The people that were opposed to him on the religious side, that's where they hung out. That's where they lived. The people that were opposed to him on the political side, that was the seat of power in that particular area. So of all the places that Jesus should go, Jerusalem was not the place that most folks thought he should go. And so as Robin just read, he's going there with a a very specific purpose. And Jesus, for the third time, tells his disciples what's going to happen when he goes there. He tells it very accurately that he's going to suffer and that he's going to die, but also that he's going to rise again. Now, I can imagine how this particular statement of Jesus would influence the followers of Jesus. Now, we all know, like those that, are, that we love, that are close to us, we all know that at some point, they're going to die. some point, they're going to pass away. But that's not the forefront of our mind as we have relationships with people. And Jesus, he's most likely in his mid-30s at this point in his life, just starting his ministry. And so as he's gaining all these followers, for him to say that it's coming to an end very soon would be pretty disconcerting. And it would even probably make you question, make them question, why are we following this guy in the first place? But Jesus says that he is going to die, but he's going to rise again. And so we finally see, even this is the third time that Jesus has said this to his disciples, we finally see that they start to get it. They start to understand, okay, he's done a lot of things already that were pretty miraculous. Maybe this rising again piece, maybe he will do this. And so they're shifting their perspective. Where where they thought that Jesus was going to be an earthly king, now I can imagine they're starting to think, well, if he does come back, that's going to be something, isn't it? And he's going to probably have some sort of glory that accompanies him, some sort of recognition. And so when he gets that recognition, oh man, we as his first followers, man, we're going to be there, right? So they ask him a question on the heels of what Robin just read. Two guys, James and John, come up to him. And this is the the text this morning. I encourage you to, to, to look it up. They come up to him and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us Whatever we ask. Now, if you're a parent, have you ever had a, one of your kids come up to you and say, Mommy, Daddy, I want you to say yes to the question I'm about to ask you. 
And if you have any uh, wisdom at all, you say, ask me a question. <laughs> ask me a question first. Or in my case, I'll just say, the answer is no. <laughs> ah, ask me the question first. So this is kind of how they are. James and John come up to him, and, and Jesus has given, given them the, the nickname of Sons of Thunder. So we kind of get this idea that they're bold guys. And they're, not, they're obviously not shy about asking this question. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, I really have no idea what they had in their minds at that moment, what they thought this glory was going to look like. And Jesus had just said right before this that in his kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. But clearly they don't get that because they're trying to be first and stay first. And they're essentially saying, we want to be the privileged ones. I was thinking about this. It's interesting to note and think a moment. When Jesus was on the cross, who was on his left and his right? Two thieves. Who would be the first to enter the kingdom of heaven with Jesus? Well, the thief that believed. Jesus made the promise, you will be with me today in paradise. It's interesting to think that, isn't it? Now, with this request to James and John, Jesus doesn't respond harshly to them. He doesn't degrade them or put them down, but he does respond truthfully. And he essentially repeats what he said before, that following him costs something. Following Jesus costs something. So he says, can you drink the cup? that I'm about to drink, the cup representing his suffering. And in a few moments, we'll be drinking the cup together, remembering that suffering through communion. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with, the baptism representing death going under the water. And we do that today. We practice baptism as both a symbolic of dying to our old lives and being raised to life with Christ, to a new life. So Jesus says, you, you, you're right, you think you can, and you're right, you will. You will suffer, and you will die. Eventually, um, Acts 12 shows that John would, uh, sorry, that James would die as a martyr. Acts chapter 12. Revelation, the book of Revelation shows that John, because of his faith, would be exiled to a remote island where he would write the book of Revelation. Now, understandably, the rest of the disciples aren't stoked to hear that James and John are jockeying for a position in the kingdom of God. Hey, we thought we were all in this together. But remember, not too long ago in chapter 9, they had all been arguing about who would be the greatest in God's kingdom. 
And so Jesus responds the same to James and John as he did back then in chapter 9. He doesn't get on them for wanting to be great, but instead he challenges their thinking of how greatness looks in the kingdom of God. So here again, Jesus reorients their thinking. And we, we need that reorientation too. When we come to Jesus, we come with uh, thinking the world operates in a certain way. And Jesus, as he begins to work in our lives, he begins to change how we view people, places, events, the world around us. He reorients our thinking. And so Jesus does this here as well. It says in verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, about what James and John had done, they became indignant. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I remember when I first started working uh, at a church in a ministry position, I was leading a, dis- uh, a college ministry down in California. It was my first kind of like, how does this, how does the, the church work? Like, what's the day to day? What does the pastor do when he's not preaching on Sunday? And my image of him is this kind of like, uh, floating, you know, holy man that, that had all these perks and things like that, it began to kind of change a little bit. When I saw him after worship on Sundays, putting things away uh, behind the stage. When I saw him before gatherings during the week, spending half an hour stacking chairs and organizing them. And I thought, shouldn't somebody else be doing this? <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't there be a, a team to... to Why is he doing these things? But what he began to show me was he began to show me this principle in Scripture of what's called servant leadership. And Jesus demonstrates this as well. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. I mean, of all the people in the world that have ever lived, God in the flesh didn't need to do that, did he? But he chose to. And so Jesus is reorienting his disciples' perspective. And this is not just a reordering of power, but this is a reordering of priorities. Reordering of priorities. When people lead this way, they are leading from a position of humility and a place that puts others first so that those others, those that are served, can really thrive. And this is truly a a kingdom vision of what leadership looks like, servant leadership. And so in the marriage, when a husband loves his wife like Christ loves the church, he is demonstrating servant leadership. When we interact with our family at holidays and events and we we put them before ourselves, we, we love them in such a way that makes them feel important, we demonstrate this servant leadership. When you're hanging out with your friends and you know one friend likes to do something that you're not a big fan of, but you choose to engage with them in that activity, you're putting them first. When you're at your workplace and you see a coworker struggling in their task and you know how to do it, and you help them out without getting any credit, you demonstrate this servant leadership. And so this is what Jesus is, is giving the disciples, giving them an alternative view 
of how the world could work. An alternative view of what the kingdom of God looks like as opposed to the kingdom of the world. I hope we can see what's going on here. We've been, listen, 29 weeks in the Gospel of Mark. We've been walking through it together. And have you seen, though, how the kingdom of God that Jesus is presenting is different than the world that we live in? It's the way that people are valued. All people, regardless of age, ethnicity, anything else, all people are valued. Women and children in Jesus' day were not valued. Jesus valued them. He said, let them come to me. There is a different perspective that Jesus is presenting. But do you also see how difficult it is for people who are living, eating, and walking with Jesus to understand that the kingdom of God is different? Do you understand that? Can we feel that? We can feel that, right? Like when we leave this space today, when when you go back to work tomorrow, it's a different feel. There's a different set of values and goals that are driving the businesses that you work for, the places that you hang out at. And so as people come to Jesus with their problems and with their questions, Jesus continually gives them a vision for what the kingdom of God looks like. When somebody, when religious leaders come with a question about marriage and divorce, Jesus gives them a Christian sexual ethic. When When marginalized people are pushed to the society, Jesus gives them a kingdom vision for all people. As it relates to sin, as it relates to wealth, all of these things, as as Jesus interacts with them, he gives them a different perspective. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us as well. Every aspect of our lives, Jesus has a vision for it. He has a perspective that he wants to implant in us. He wants to walk with us in. Nothing in our lives is unimportant to God. So in this moment, Jesus is pushing his disciples further into this new way of thinking. And in this particular case, their way of thinking about what greatness looks like. Think about it again. Jesus, God in the flesh. Through him, everything that has been made was made. If anyone has the right to make demands, it's Jesus, but he doesn't. Instead, Jesus once again flips the cultural script. The way to greatness is through putting others before yourself. You know, I've read over the years tons of books on leadership. Most of all those books are about how to serve people in a way that benefits you in the end. But in recent years, the idea of servant leadership is actually catching more Uh, on more and more outside of the church. CEOs of companies, of massive Fortune 500 companies, are realizing if if I were to adopt these servant leader principles, as radical as they are, in my companies, good thing will happen. Because when my employees thrive, everybody thrives. When my employees' needs are met, the company does well. And so it's so fascinating, this 2,000-year-old principle that Jesus modeled is now getting the world's attention. But let's be honest, though, so many folks, as they approach these things, it's still about themselves. There still can be this false humility or these manipulative favors. Well, I'll do this because I know in the end I'm going to get something out of that. And this is not what Jesus demonstrates. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still rejecting him, 
still in our unbelief, Jesus chose to sacrifice himself with no promise of return, no promise of repentance. Jesus loved us that much. So the disciples are so caught up in what they've always known. They've been trained this way their entire lives. What they've always been taught about power and leadership. That right after Jesus talks about how he's going to suffer and die for them, they're like, okay, cool. So who gets to be in the position of power and privilege with you in the kingdom? Like that's their first response after Jesus talks about his sacrifice. And we're like this sometimes too, right? It's like we read the Bible, the The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. We scroll through the media, news media, and my right to have an AR-15. Like we immediately forget about the principles of the kingdom of God because the ones in the world that are pressing them in on us so hard become the dominant ones in our lives. Or we sing songs of worship like we just sang. You know, what's been promised to me I will believe I'm still walking with you. You're still. And then we trip. We go, God, where are you? (laughs) We walk out the door, right? And it's, oh, man, I just remembered all the things that are tough in my life. Where is God? So we can read the Bible. We can sing the songs. But we are pressed in by the cares and the challenges of the world, by the 24-hour news cycle, by the things our friends are posting online. Man, if you can relate to this, say something. Like we, don't, we don't live in a vacuum. Uh, we, 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 we are, some churches call this space the sanctuary because we're, it's like this idea of you retreating from the real world for just a little bit on Sunday. It's, it's a safe space, right? But then what happens when we leave here? Do we leave everything about our faith in the safe space? No, we, we bring it with us. But it is pressed. It is heated up. There is a big challenge for us to to say yes to the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of God, and then to live them out. So we're all a work in progress, but it's only by the grace of God that any of us get to be a part of his kingdom. And it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit that any of us actually look like we're a part of the kingdom of God. Are you following me? The idea of greatness being achieved by being a servant is so completely different than what we see of leadership in the world. Some would say service like this is a sign of weakness, but it's not. It's actually a sign of humility. And I'll tell you what, the humblest people are the strongest people. The person that walks into the room and tries to bring all the attention to themselves is deeply insecure. They're deeply fearful. But the person that would serve others with no recognition that even if they have a high position or high authority, would not put that as the primary identifier in their life, that is humility, and that is demonstrated in a strength of character, of knowing who you are. And so the follower of Christ, us, we rely fully on God, on his power, his purposes, and his resources. And so it allows us to walk in humility. And so a humble person will be strong and persistent in a God-dependent character and weak in self-reliance. So the Bible says, in my weakness, he is strong. It is the power of God in us. 
So this is different, right? The kingdom of God is different. And Jesus wants his followers to be different too. He wants his church to be different. Jesus records a prayer, or sorry, John's gospel records a prayer that Jesus prays for us. And I'll read just an excerpt of it right now. John 17, verse 15. I encourage you to read the whole prayer later and meditate on this prayer. But John 17, 15, in part of this prayer, Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So Jesus wants us to be protected, but he does not want us to withdraw. He wants us to, in fact, engage. We aren't removed from the culture, but we are set apart. Another way to put the word sanctified. We are set apart within this world. This is a hard part for the disciples of Jesus. We are in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. In many ways, we have a foot in two kingdoms. We're still here. God's full rule and reign is still not fully established, but we know it's coming. And so we have a foot in both kingdoms, the promises of God's kingdom and the reality that we're still in a fallen and broken world. One of the biggest challenges, I, <laughs> I think, in us understanding that is understanding this kingdom dynamic. Uh, it's, it's sad to me how many people can sing songs, can nod and smile to a message on Sunday morning, and have almost no Christian self-awareness outside of certain environments. I was talking to a friend of mine this last week, and he said he was at a board meeting for a Christian school. And he said, you would have thought it was a, 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 a rally between Republicans and Democrats, the way that people were talking. And, and they were just talking about the future of the school, no hot-button Items, but the attitudes and the words that were said and the opposition among brothers and sisters in Christ did not demonstrate anything Christ-like. And so there's this idea for me where I, I, that I feel like in our current moment there is a very, there's a lack of Christian self-awareness. Like some of the things I see posted online, I'll go to somebody's profile and it'll be like loving husband and father a member of so-and-so church. And I'm like, really? Because nothing you said reflected that. Nothing about the way that you're talking or the way that you're, you're um, attacking this person. Like, nothing sounded Christian at all. And this is the challenge that we have. We can nod and smile to the ways of Jesus, but it is hard to live them out. Because our own flesh, because our own ideas of how we think the world should go and even though James and John got to be with Jesus in the flesh, here they come to him and they make this demand. But I'm going to be honest, we can extend them a bit of grace because James and John and the other disciples, they hadn't experienced the fullness of the gospel yet. They hadn't seen Jesus die and come back to life. They hadn't seen, they hadn't got the full picture. The full picture is not just that Jesus came, that he loved people. It's that he died for sinners. That he paid the price that they couldn't pay themselves so that they could be right with God. And he demonstrated his power and authority to do that by dying without sin 
and taking our sin with him. And then by rising again and saying, now there is a way for all people that place their faith in me to experience the same thing. To have their sin removed so they might be a part of this kingdom of God. And so we all have that. James and John didn't have that yet. But after they did, they were all in. As I mentioned earlier, James laid his life down for the gospel. John, exiled till the very end, they were all in. So the question for us as disciples today, as followers of Jesus today, is how can we stay in step with Jesus and the values of the kingdom? I just want to share three things, because these are things that God has been working on me just in recent months. The first one that I would encourage us to consider is that we would become better listeners. Better listeners. The amazing thing is James and John got to hear Jesus teach and preach every stinking day. <laughs> like All the words of Jesus that were not recorded in the Bible, they got to hear. They got to see him back those words up with a demonstration of power. We have many of those words written for us, but we still need to learn how to listen to them. This last week, Caleb mentioned, uh, and I mentioned in the email, like, I just sat with one verse for 30 minutes. And you know what? I've read that verse a thousand times, probably. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. Yeah, I get it. Okay. But I've never just sat with it. Anxieties, those things that occupy our mental and emotional lives. We could, as Caleb said, we could throw them at God. And he will take them from us because why? Because he cares for us. That's his posture toward us, towards me. I just sat with that for 30 minutes. And that day was one of the most refreshing days I've had in weeks. Because I wasn't reading for volume or for obligation so I feel better about my Christian life. I was just reading because I wanted to hear from God. I, let me just tell you, our attention spans are so short. Our lives are so busy. If we can become better listeners, then when we read God's word, we will hear him speak to us through his word. And along with that, we need to think a little bit more. <laughs> We, we're, we're trained, Aaron and Tiffany and my wife and I were talking about this this last week. We're trained because of social media, because instant access on our phone. When we see a comment or something to respond without thinking, boom, boom, boom. Everybody in the world can hear my thoughts right now. My thoughts are important. But I'll tell you what, when we listen better and we think more, then we are more likely to embody the spirit of Christ. We're more likely to have more Christian self-awareness. And it allows us to stay in step with Christ. You know, I grew up in, in basically the same area. I moved a lot, but in the same area most of my life. And I was, last night my wife and I were going for a walk in our neighborhood. And we, we've lived in the same neighborhood now for five years. And it's amazing how you can walk the same neighborhood and you notice things that you never noticed before. And I was telling her, I said, you know, I, 
I'd always driven around the streets of my, my town. And I remember when, in high school, I started walking a little bit more, walking with friends or walking from one destination to the next. And I started seeing stores that I'd never seen before and little nooks and crannies in the downtown area that I'd never noticed before. And I'd lived there all my life. And somebody could have asked me prior to that moment, hey, do you know this place? And I'd be like, where's that? And they'd be like, downtown. I'm like, I've lived here all my life. I didn't know that was there. And this idea of slowing down, of listening better and thinking more allows us to move at a pace that I think God designed for us to move at so that we could stay in step with him. And then the last one I think helps us to stay in step is what Jesus encourages through servant leadership is this humility. Whenever we're tempted to exercise our authority, our rights, as a, as a husband, I deserve respect. As a wife, I deserve this. As, as children, as co-workers, whenever, whenever we start to think in that mentality, then we are not operating from a a place of humility. And ultimately, what we're doing is we're unhitching our identity from Jesus. When our identity is firmly aligned with Jesus, we aren't fighting for our power, our privilege. We know all those things go to God anyways. What we're doing is we're resting in our security in Jesus. That as a son whose eternity is secured, I don't have to fight for it. I can rest in who God's made me to be. Ultimately, all of these have to be powered by the Holy Spirit. Have to be powered by the Holy Spirit. It is His Spirit that works in us to allow us to hear, to allow us to receive, and allow us to walk out how He's called us to live. So, while Jesus is talking about all that He is about to give, the disciples come with a list of all they want to get, just like a child, right? And Jesus reminds them. He says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is the good news that changes everything. Jesus' payment means our freedom. Jesus' payment means our redemption. Jesus' love means we have hope. Jesus' work means that we get to rest. So the question today, church family, is, Will you follow him? Will you follow him? As we take communion now and have the worship team come back up, this is our chance to reconfirm our desire to make Jesus the center. As we partake of the cup, we're reminded of his suffering. And we can even hear Jesus asking us the same question. Are you willing to take the cup? And when we take of the bread, we're reminded of the abuse he took on the cross, of his death. And we can hear Jesus asking, are you willing to walk with me, even through death? And we can say yes as believers, because we know that like diamonds, we're a work in process. And in the end, our destiny, our identity is secure. And today... He, by the power of the Spirit, allows us to walk out in that identity. And so in just a moment, we'll invite you, whenever you're ready, to come up and to reaffirm your trust in Jesus, to remember the sacrifice that he made for you, and to ask him, just as he was gracious with James and John, to ask him to be gracious with you and to show you what it means to be his kingdom citizen. So, Father, this morning, we thank you. We thank you for your gentleness.
with James and John. We thank you. I thank you for your gentleness with me. I thank you that you say to cast your cares. That you say to come to you, all who are burdened, and you give rest. That your word says it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. You are a, a loving God. And you are a strong God. You're God of power that overcame death and sin on our behalf. You're God who one day will make all things right. Complete restoration. So God, in your power, would you give us strength to follow you? In your kindness, would you lead our hearts in the day today? And Lord, as we take of, your, of the cup and of the bread this morning, we thank you that you chose to enter our space, the ultimate act of humility. You chose to suffer and die so that we might have life. We might have hope. We might know true love. Oh God, would you move in our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.